Hi, welcome to Industry Night with me, Nikki Nellis. Thanks so much for joining me today. This is the show that takes you on a deep dive on what's happening in and around the hospitality industry. So um, if you're here for the first time or you're back again, welcome. Uh, here I am in the gorgeous wine lair, the private wine club right next to the Ritz-Carlton in downtown DC. If you haven't had a chance to check out this place, I highly recommend it. You can look at some previous episodes where we're, uh, which were filmed in the wine cellar. It is chilly, but so, so cool because so many of the members here keep all their wine. And it's so great to sort of like window shop at all the fabulous wines and spirits that are kept in the lockers. Also, they have a wonderful chef here. And um, I don't know if you've heard the news, but private clubs are kind of the thing. Uh, and Wine Lair is at the forefront of it. And I'm so grateful that they sponsor this show and we get to do it here every week. So a little bit about me. If you don't know, I've been covering the DC food and wine and hospitality scene for the last 20 years. The list are you the online e-zine that tells you about absolutely everything happening in the DC metro area and sometimes Richmond uh, and Baltimore. Uh, and um, you follow me at N-Y-C-C-I-N-E-L-L-I-S on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Um, you hear me on WTOP. You also hear me every Sunday on Foodie and the Beast, the only food and wine variety show uh, that I do with my husband, David. It's been on air for 14 years. We're getting ready to celebrate 15 years on air. Huh, what else do I do? Oh. I judge a lot. I'm really judgy. And I emcee a lot. I do a really good job of that. And coming up at the James Beard Awards, Hilton has hired me to do their red carpet. So stay tuned for all the fun on that one. Okay. So if you pay attention to my Insta feed, you know that I'm out and about and I eat and drink an awful lot. So just a quick wrap up of where I've been recently. Um, some of these places you so definitely need a reservation at, and it's going to take some time because they're popular and there's a reason for it. So I went to the new Capo on MacArthur Boulevard, uh, Ari Wilder, uh, Adrian Williams, and Chef Minoru Agawa. It is a eight course omakase tasting. It is a little jewel box in the former Makoto space. Um, it's unlike anything at the city at this moment. I know a lot of people are using the term omakase and they are omakase experiences. Um, omakase usually means a, a, at the whim of the chef. Um, it is a Japanese experience, but this is heavy on the Wagyu and also heavy on the seafood and it's just pristine. It's pricey, fair warning. Wine list is fabulous, obviously, thanks to Ari Wilder. Uh, Corey, let me get his last name right. Corey Lindolt is doing the cocktails. Um, most of you know I'm not a huge cocktail fan, but he is doing a Wagyu washed old fashioned called The Bully. And um, it's so clean. It's so good. It's it's going to get you drunk, so be careful. It's very delicious. Uh, but anyway, reservations necessary. They do make you stand outside because there is literally no place to go. The restaurant's so tiny. So five minutes before your reservation or seating, they let you in, and then you're there for this two-hour experience. Uh, get on board. It's worth it. Um, I went hiking because I love to hike. I was out at Sky Meadows in Lost Fountain, and I love going out to that area because there's so many great wineries. So you get a really good like four or five mile hike in, and then you go to a great winery. We went to check out uh, Crimson Lane Vineyards, brand new, super beautiful. Um, that team is coming in shortly to talk about uh, what they're doing out there. Um, the wines are young, obviously it's a brand new vineyard, but um, I'm very excited for what it's going to be. We also, since we were out there, went to Patty O's, Chef Patrick O'Connell's little cafe right next door to the Inn at Little Washington. Not Inn at Little Washington dining, but oh my God, so yummy. Um, this is casual food. This is uh, Patrick O'Connell's version of casual food, talking like champagne washed hams and delicious pastrami and a fabulous bakery. Um, they do not take reservations except for brunch, but um, if you're going to take a day trip out to that part of Virginia, I highly recommend stopping there for lunch. Um, and lastly, I want to tell you about a show that's going on at the Shakespeare Theater right now not food, but a very important, powerful program called Here There Are Blueberries. It sort of goes with what we're talking about today. Um, Here There Are Blueberries is a story about the Holocaust Museum when they are presented with a photo album of the guards at Auschwitz and how 
well and happily they lived. And it's a real conversation about what people know and how they behave when atrocities are not happening to them. It's a fantastic show and it will be here for a little bit. And if you have the opportunity to see it, I highly, highly recommend it. Really one of the most powerful shows I've seen in, in quite some time. Okay, so that brings us to today's show. Um, so those of you who pay attention know that back in the fall, I was blessed by being asked to interview Michael Twitty, kosher soul king, uh, who I adore at the uh, Capitol uh, Jewish Museum, which is opening soon. They had a huge food and wine festival in the fall. During that interview, I got introduced to Lenitra Berger, who then introduced me to Lauren Strauss. They co-teach a class on Judaism and the Black diaspora and how the two commingle. I brought them here. Hopefully you saw the show. And we really talked about how the two cultures and cuisines come together. Fast forward to today. Um, today's show, I have Ari Agenbaum and Nar. Havnanian? Havnanian. Havnanian. You say it so much prettier than I do. <laughs> I've had years of practice. Okay. Um, they are of still deciding, LLC, which I love the name, but um, Ari is the executive chef. Nana is one of the founders. And Nara is one of the founders. And they have multiple concepts in Richmond. They have Soltaka Restaurant. They have Searburger. But the real reason why I brought them here today is to talk about their concept called Jufro Restaurant. So, hi, you both. Thank hi. you both for joining me today. Thank you so much for having us. We're really excited to be here. So, I want to talk to you both a little bit. Let's start with your backgrounds. Um, Nar, let's start with you. How did you get into the biz? Um, very accidentally, actually. So I am originally from Southern California, mm -hmm. um, born and raised in Orange County, went to UCI, uh, moved the second that I could because Orange County was not cool as a 22 year old girl. Okay. Um, moved to DC because I had done an internship on the Hill and kind of fell in love with the city and the East Coast, um, got into event production, mm -hmm. um, all the while very interested in food. Well, event production and food. Yeah. Very, together. I mean, hospitality, you know. Right. Totally makes sense with one another. Um, met Ari in DC years later, uh, after I owned an event production company for 12 years, did, you know, multinational events. Um, met him. We got into some real estate together and then he happened to be a chef and in the industry for a very long time. Mm -hmm. I always had, you know, just small dreams of sitting at my restaurant, drinking a glass of wine, saying hello to people as they came in. And that was like my thought of, I know good food. I feel like I could create an awesome space, but like no thinking about owning a restaurant beyond that, what went into it, all of, you know, the actual the business, real the stuff. Business side. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so I met him and after a few years of knowing each other, um, he asked me if I wanted to open a restaurant and I was like, I thought he'd never ask. This is great. <laughs> and so I said, yes. Uh -huh. And that's kind of how it started. <laughs> all right. All right. That's a perfect segue <laughs> to you. So how'd you get to cooking? I've uh, been doing it most of my life. First of all, happy belated birthday. I don't oh. know if you know this, but you two share a birthday. Oh, we do? Oh, oh crazy. Yes. And they ate. That's where I did the hike. Okay. All right. <laughs> my birthday. Uh, sorry, I digress. That's okay. Not at all. I knew if I didn't get it in now, it would, oh, I, I would forget. And then don't I would hate myself for it. But, okay. Um, so I started in this business when I was 13. I was working as a bag boy at a local grocery store, mm -hmm. kosher grocery store called Shuttle's Kosher Market, which is no longer around but you know i grew up we didn't have a lot of money and so if i wanted to keep up with everybody else in montgomery county mm -hmm. you know i needed to uh, have a couple of dollars of my own in order to go to the movies and things like that and so i started out bagging groceries at this local neighborhood kosher market and one day this guy comes in and he's like hey he ran a staffing company for smaller kosher events things like bar bat mitzvahs okay and he was he came to the boss and he's like look i need someone to help me out this weekend all of my high school kids are on summer break and so boss pointed to me, he's like, oh, he's tiny. You know, I can't, I can't put him in the dining room. This is going to look embarrassing. So he said, look, stick him in the kitchen, put one of your kitchen guys in the dining room. It'll get you through the week. And that's that. Oh and God. so the rest is just history. I started in the kitchen there and it was weekend. Three to the wolves, man. Pretty much. I mean, it wasn't real cooking there. It was like, can you put cut up fruit and put it on a platter? Right. And can you take these deli meats, roll them up and put them on a platter? Okay. Stick some ketchup in the middle. Maybe put some lettuce underneath it so it looks good. 
And, you know, that's where I got my start. And then from there, I was like, this is amazing. Mm-hmm. Imagine what we do if we could actually cook food, if we actually knew how to now, do things. Now, you, did you grow up kosher? Yes. So my parents still keep a kosher household to this day. Okay. My brother, my older brother, my, my sister, and my aunts and uncles all keep kosher. My in-laws all keep kosher. Wow. Uh, it's just me and my younger brother. I shouldn't say my younger brother on the air. My parents might be listening. Okay. But, yeah. <laughs> Don't send your parents to chef. <laughs> okay. It's fine. They're not going to Okay, listen. so, but what, as you became a chef, started cooking, uh, you know, working for others in the industry, um, who were some of the, because you have a resume, who were some of the people you cooked with here? So, locally, I cooked for, uh, I cooked with Chef Maru Altara, mm-hmm. um, formerly Signatures of Washington. Fair Olivia. Fair Olivia, Lillian mm-hmm. Cactus. Mm. Um, and then I also worked on it for Bobby Flay's Burger Joints. I ran a couple of those for him for a couple of years. Okay. Uh, I ran the restaurant Ketchup in National Harbor for a while. Wow. Not the kitchen in there, so I'm right. not going to take credit for that. Uh-huh. Um, but that was Ashton Kutcher's restaurant group. I remember. So that was that was quite an experience, National Harbor. Back uh, in those well, days. so Ketchup opened, I don't want to go down a rabbit hole, but that's it was the first restaurant in National Harbor. Yeah. So they were just figuring it all out, right? I mean, you oh. know, 10 years later, it's a totally different place. Well, this was before Uber. It was designed oh my one God. road in, one road out. People would come for four-day conferences and couldn't get out of the National Harbor. Right, there was like, no ferry. Yeah. I remember the first time driving over... Um, when the Gaylord had opened and driving over like the highway. And I was like, what is that? I was like, Oh my God, is that national heart? Like yeah, I had, it literally was like Oz coming out of the water. Um, now, I mean, but it took everybody a while to get their sea legs there yeah. with good reason. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. New areas are, are tough. So, okay. So you went, you were in all those places. You guys are friends during all this? Uh, no, we didn't meet no. till years later. Okay. We've known each other for what? I guess Six like seven, seven years? Year, maybe seven years. Okay. So we knew each other for a year. Got into some... I mean, that's kind of how we connected is over our love of business, entrepreneurship, this, that, and the other. He would say things and I was like, this guy's really smart. Mm-hmm. And so... And then she figured I out. I know, right? Little did I know. Um, but so that's why I was like... And I was looking to buy some real estate in DC, um, some investment properties. And he mm-hmm. was doing that at the time. And so we started going to places and going to lunch. And then, you know, we would sit together at lunch and talk, you know, critique all of the food and be like, well, this needs this. And this would be cool if this had this, you know, mm-hmm. are we going to say names? Are we dropping any names? I don't even remember. Honestly, just like it was just wherever, like we went to a hole in the wall, like chicken spot in Southeast DC. Right. And then like also at the time, uh, geez, one of Mike Isabella's restaurants, you know, so it's no, just- you can see Mike Isabella. <laughs> right. Mike was a really good friend. Right. So, I mean, he handled himself incredibly poorly, but, um, you know, These I, he's happen. still a person. Right. And, you know, we talked earlier offline, we'll get into it about cancel culture. You know, how long does that last? Right. Um, not that he was right at all. He was totally wrong, but, um, you can say his name without right. blushing. Um, so <laughs> tell me, how you guys wound up in Richmond. What was the first concept that was sold taco? That yes. was sold taco. Yeah. Okay. So what is sold taco? How did you get from this area to Richmond? Totally by mistake. Okay. I mean, did you go to Sub Rosa for the croissants and we're like, Ooh, no, everything was like a series of accidents. Okay. Yeah, we had never been to Richmond. I think Nar, you went once with your friends in college or shortly yeah, after college on for a like day two days. Trip. It's a good day trip. Yeah, it was fun. And that's all I remember is having mimosas in the middle of the day, drinking mm-hmm. a lot. What is that area back. called? It's it's not, there's like a, it's like a lot of vintage shops. It's. There's Carytown and Carrie Shopper Bob. Carrie. Shopper I don't know why I can never remember Carytown, but Carytown, there's like that. I call it the diplomat light. Like there's right. a brasserie. Yep. Yes. Absolutely. Can can is there. Right. Yep. Can can. Okay, great. Thanks. I'm assuming that's, where, I'm just thinking you said mimosas. I'm like, I right. feel like that's where she was. No, I actually happened to be at Lulu's, which is now around the corner from Jufro. And it took me years to realize, like I walked in one day and I was like, this is where I had like 13 mimosas. Oh my there. God. That's so funny. <laughs> uh, it was probably the 14th mimosa that you didn't get. Right. The only exactly. Reason you remember it. Exactly. And one more. Word <laughs> but yeah, so uh, we were looking for a restaurant at this mm-hmm. time he had asked me if I wanted to open a restaurant I said yes we had no real concept in mind it was just let's find the space and see what makes sense for that area okay it's definitely something we were looking for in DC 
started looking at Adams Morgan. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Ari, why don't you take that bit? Yes. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's a little bit of a sore subject for me, but it actually plays very well into the brand of Jufro and why we ended up where we are. Um, before Soul Taco, we had looked at the space and they were looking to sell it. It was a pizza shop of some sort. And the two owners were this guy and his girlfriend. And they this were is in Adams Morgan. In Adams Adam's Morgan. Morgan. Okay. And she, he said, you know, we want to sell the place. Mm-hmm. And he wanted to sell it to us. And so he comes back and he says, look, I have a higher bidder. I said, look, we, we want this space. Whatever that guy's willing to offer, we'll beat it by 5,000. I mean, this was a failed pizza shop. We weren't buying right. a business. We were buying the space and the assets. Mm-hmm. And so that's how I know for a fact that we had the highest bid because I said, whatever the other guy's going to offer, we'll beat it. Okay. Uh, and his girlfriend comes in the room and says, I won't sell to him. Him being me, the Jew. And so... Isn't that illegal? Yes, 100%. I mean, it's totally illegal. Right, 100%. And uh, I'll say this, and I've said it before, this isn't the first time I've been discriminated against. It won't be the last time. Mm-hmm. It is unfortunate. It is tragic. But it is also part of life. And I'm sure you can both, you know, connect mm-hmm. with that. It's, this has happened. It happens way more often than it should. But that was a sign that I don't want to... This is not a thing that we're going to pursue. We, we walked away from that project and decided we weren't going to move forward there. Okay. Uh, we started, we continued looking for a space and we found a listing that was listed on second street. No more detail other than it was a space. The price made sense. And it was on second street. It's a near DC. I think if I wasn't uh, yeah, something like second that. Street. What are those Craigslist? Like where? Like, for sale post. Right. And so we reach out to the, to the guy who listed the post and it was a landlord. And he's like, look, I don't want to put the address out because we are evicting the previous tenant. They haven't paid rent in six months. Mm-hmm. And I can't sustain losses anymore, so I'm talking to people, but once I find someone that we feel is serious, then we'll release the address because just like in DC, actually more so in Richmond. Didn't you have to pitch the concept of what you wanted to do there? We did. Sort of. No, we did. We did before he gave us the lease. But we wanted to go see the space and make sure that it was something that was viable that made sense. Mm -hmm. Um, so Ari looks at this ad, he reaches out to the guy, and after a little bit of back and forth, he's like, Well, it's in Richmond, Virginia. And I like we knew nothing about Richmond, Virginia. He had a friend that he worked with at Ketchup at the time, Mm -hmm. which is Trey, our now business partner. Okay. he, this is Trey Owens. Trey yes, Owens, Trey. correct. So he reached out to Trey and said, hey, I have this opportunity. Do you have a second to go take a look at this space? Trey was still in the restaurant space at that point. Uh, do you have a second to take a look at this space and see if it makes sense for, you know, a small concept restaurant that we're trying to build? Mm-hmm. And Trey was... I mean, at the time, miracu- miraculously, because we're both in D.C. and it's a completely different, you know geography than Richmond is, but Trey was like, oh, that's around the corner from my house, which like, that's, you know, everywhere in DC is at least 20 minutes away. But I always say, like, I really bother one of my girlfriends who's in Southern California. And I'm always like, oh, it's only, it's around the corner. Right. It's like, not everything is around the corner. Right. But it is. But it was actually like three blocks away from his house. So I want to speed up a little bit. So you get there. Right. And you decide, what, how does Soul Taco come to life? Uh, So we get there. We like the space. We sit down with Trey. We have lunch. We go, hey, Trey, we're going to open a restaurant here. Do you want to be involved? And he says, Mm -hmm. yeah, that sounds great. I don't have any money. We said, that's fine. Neither do we. Let's make it happen. Okay. And so we decide to open the space. And then we're sitting there. We're at a restaurant called Pearly's, which is a Jewish day. Oh, yes. The bagel place. place. It's good. And we're sitting there over lunch. And we're like, what is this restaurant going to be? Can we just talk for a second about Pearly's? Because I think it's really interesting because it's, it is a deli, but it's, it's reimagined, mm-hmm. right? Oh, they're, they're sort fantastic. of in, right? Sort of in like the Michael Zamenhof way, yep. but yes. not fine dining. Do you know what I mean? Like, Absolutely. I think they found a beautiful mid way of presenting uh, New York deli food with a little bit of elevation, a little well, uh, chefy. They chefed right. it up a bit. There are Triple D brothers. They yeah. were on Diners, Drive-ins, and Dives at the same time we mm-hmm. were with uh, Soul Taco. Okay, so, so Soul Taco gets time. created. Gets created. You decide to do tacos, but what is it? Let's talk about like what it is quickly. So it's a Southern Latin American fusion with okay. a California twist in that we're using a lot of fresh, you know, vibrant mm-hmm. colors, pickled things, all of that. So, for example, we're doing a uh, braised oxtail al pastor instead of doing it the classic way. We do a root beer braise on the oxtail, which is known to Chef John White, who passed the year we opened. He was the executive chef at Ketchup when Trey mm-hmm. and I both worked there. Mm-hmm. He did a root beer glazed something or other. 
Um, and so we have root beer glazed oxtail al pastor topped with a pineapple and roasted jalapeno salsa, Yum. chicharrones and agave hot sauce. We do a buttermilk battered fried chicken taco with a, a chipotle uh, barbecue sauce, agave hot sauce, pickled red onions and fresh avocado. Uh, we do a shrimp po'boy taco. Okay, so you're really uh, so playing with the like concept. Yep, so yep. it's ta- the taco is the vessel. the vessel. Is the vessel exactly? But it's really allowing you to sort of play with your food and do non-traditional things. But at the same time, each piece is related to the traditional version. So the al pastor is done in a very similar style that a classic al pastor would be done. Right. Except we're doing it with root uh, root beer with oxtail. Right. You know, same thing with the uh, with uh, the chicken tanga jambalaya is a play on jambalaya, but it's also a play on a classic chicken tango. Mm-hmm. And so we're using the elements of both cuisines like a true fusion should. Right. And as you said, the taco is the vessel. Our t-shirts all say, uh, what is it? A, uh, a, a taco t- without a soul is just a sandwich. Yeah. Oh, I like that. Thank Very you. cute. Trey came up no, I can't. You came She's up like, it's okay, mine. mine. It is mine. It is mine. <laughs> okay, so let's jump forward. So... What, where did Jufro come from? What was, cause it was a pop-up originally, right. but you guys have a reason for the pop-up. So right. what happened? So Soul Taco happened, pandemic happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, How long were you open before the pandemic took uh, over? We, so we have one location. We were open for a year. Guy Fieri uh, and his team called us and they were like, we're going to put you guys on diners, drive-ins and dives. That we, the weekend that the show, we filmed the show was the weekend that we opened the second location, which was crazy. Um, but we ended up. That's when it rains. It right, exactly. Well, it was it, there was a hurricane, so they had to like okay it, move the filming. Right, right, exactly. It did rain it more. So that happened, and then that was 2019 September, and then March 2020, mm-hmm. the world shuts down. Right. Um, we are operating just like everybody else, however we can to go sure. whatever. Um, we ended up working at this nightclub, Cabana, um, mm-hmm. which could no longer operate as a nightclub. It's one of the rooftops in Richmond. Uh, one of the owners said, Hey, let's put a soul taco up, up here. Let's, you know, we could do outdoor dining. Right. Outdoor dining. Exactly. Be more loungy because right. You can't make the money on So we did that. They ended up having another space in that same area downstairs. And he was like, this space is dying. There's nothing, you know, it's okay. doing nothing. Do you guys want to do something with it? And we were like, sure. We At him. this point, they had just opened our yeah, indoor dining had just started. Okay. So in our heads, we were like, we have to do something. Um, we weren't super keen on the idea, but we were like, you know, to survive, we need something. Sure. So we decided it was during the holidays, um, beginning of November, late October, if I'm not mistaken. We decided to do a two pop, a two month holiday pop-up we called it a woke holiday story um it was that you guys were ahead of the game right (laughs) it was everything all in one uh pulling from all of our cultures and our traditions our servers wore onesies our bartenders wore ugly christmas sweaters um and but it was like a fine dining experience you'd sit at the table and throw like cotton balls at each other and have a snowball fight we had to build your own gingerbread house yeah it was a whole thing our thought was if people are going to come out during COVID, it really has to be something. Oh, right. right. So, I mean, we packed the place every single day. It was crazy. Wait, you didn't pack it. You right. Like, we packed it six feet away. Right, right. exactly. We filled we, it We filled correctly. it based on what we <laughs> right. could do and Let's what made sense. Let's use our words wisely. <laughs> okay, go ahead. Um, the statute of limitations right. is passed. Uh, we were featured in Southern Living Magazine mm-hmm. with that concept. And then we were one day like kind of slowing down that concept. And then we're just kind of celebrating the success of that and trying to figure out, okay, now what's next? COVID is still happening. Limitations are being, you know, are easing. Right, it was back, I know, but it was like, it was but like it was a roller coaster. Still, yeah, exactly. So how did we get to this concept? So then that's when we started talking and then Ari, you can take it from here. All right, so, Ari, take it from here. Jufro was actually the original concept before, um, before Jingle Bell, but it wasn't something that we thought we could execute. It all started with the, uh, you know, it started as a conversation on the political climate and the civil rights protests that were happening in this country. Right, because shit was going down. Yeah. I, I mean, mean was, other than just the pandemic, much. I yeah. mean, the George Floyd marches, Black Lives Matter, there was so much. The election. The election. I mean, the vitriol was. It was a very polarizing time. It still is. It still is. But, yep. Um, and so 
it started this conversation where the three of us were talking about Nick Cannon had made some uh, anti-Semitic remarks very similar mm-hmm. to what Kanye West said recently uh, mm-hmm. that got him canceled. And the conversation started with um, they were going to remove him from Masked Singer, fire him from NBC, uh, cancel Wild and Out and all his other shows. Which, I mean, not to interrupt you, but I am interrupting you. <laughs> I, taking him out is not the answer to me because how does he learn from that? Right. All he does is get angrier, you know, or or thinks, well, I guess what I think about Jews is correct or any marginalized group. Right. right? Like if you get canceled, it's a moment for education. education. I'm glad you said that because that was exactly the uh, stance and standpoint that we took, which is in our collective opinion, the three of us, the biggest one of the biggest issues facing American society today is cancel culture. Mm-hmm. We can't have difficult conversations about topics that are um What's the word I'm looking for? Risque, let's go with. Okay. Um, if we can't have these conversations, then we can't move forward as a society. You have to be willing to allow the other side to speak in order to reach and educate and relearn some of the things that need to be re-educated. Well, right. perspective is everything, right? Everybody has a different perspective. Everybody has a different upbringing and background, which leads them to be who they are. And mm-hmm. if we stop, listen, and understand one another we're able to maybe understand where somebody else is coming from a little bit better, even though we did not live in their shoes. Right. Understanding others' experiences is very important. So, okay, so you're at this moment. Right. And so one of the biggest things we keep seeing on Facebook is if you're voting for this candidate, unfriend me now. If you're voting for this candidate, blocked. And so it's further reinforcing this idea. That's why I'm not on Facebook. (laughs) This is reinforcing this idea to us that cancel culture is really shutting things down. Mm -hmm. And so we started with this idea. Trey pitched the idea of why don't we do something that pays homage to my history and his. And so the idea started with Jewish soul food. And I was like, look, I don't really want to do soul food again. We have soul taco. We can do more than that. So we started the conversation about, well, we can trace Trey's family back to the slave ships, but no further. Mm. And so we don't know where in Africa his family is actually from. Okay. And so it kind of opens up the idea that we can take this culinary journey through the entire continent. And as you start, so we start doing some of the research into some of these things, we start looking at other than Ethiopian food, there's not much large scale representation of African food and flavors in the U.S. culinary market. And the same goes for Jewish food outside of kosher delis. There's not much of a large scale representation of, of Jewish food and but, culturally but, Jewish but dishes. Both of those, you know, Jewish food or the or from the African continent. I mean, that is a massive undertaking because you have. Uh, Ashkenazi, you have Sephardic. I mean, there's so many ways to, there, the way I define Jewish food, I didn't grow up in a kosher household. So my Jewish, what I consider Jewish food may be so totally different than what you consider Jewish food. And then for people of, you know, who are black or of African American descent, what their version is of the food is so different depending on the regions. So how did you go about in your conversations deciding your initial menu and and how you wanted the conversation to go? Because you had a point, you weren't just talking about it and you weren't just putting it on the plate. You wanted a a culinary conversation, right? So how did you go about, how did the three of you talk about it and then you execute it on the plate and you help execute the overall vision? So I think we started with what's familiar, right? Okay. Which, as many people do. Um, so Ari grew up in an Ashkenazi household. He spent some time in Israel. I'm Armenian um, from Middle Eastern descent. So anything mm-hmm. North African, uh, you know, foods that are eaten in Israel, foods that are eaten in the Middle East are all very, that it's, that's home to me. You know? Sure. Um, and then Trey had some of his own, you know, West African uh, food knowledge. Uh, mm-hmm. He had a lot of food knowledge in Nigerian cuisine. So that's kind of where we started. Okay. Um, and then there were weeks, weeks, and months of research going to all the restaurants that we could possibly go to, talking to any chefs that had, you know, in Richmond, there are a few chefs um, that have uh, this background and, you know, just talking to people and mm-hmm. kind of trying to see a, what the market wants to see, Mm -hmm. um, but also what will pay homage best to both of these very, very large 
cultures, if you can even call them that, because yes. there's a huge continent of Africa and then, you know, Jews are everywhere all around the world. Uh-huh. So, um, it, it was definitely a task. And then we kind of, I think mainly though, like we started where Ari felt comfortable because he's cooking day sure. in day out. And it was like, Oh, I love Kugel. I want to do something with a Kugel. And then mm-hmm. it was just like, okay, let's get online. Let's research. Let's talk to people. Let's see what makes sense. And but so from there. for the menu, did you take a kugel and fuse it? Yes. Okay. So all right. So jumping off of where Nar left off, so the first mm-hmm. thing we did was we had just uh, we were wrapping up the Jingle Bell pop up, and so we took the sous chef and the executive sous chef and the sous chef from that, and we said, look, this is the direction we want to go in for the next pop up. Uh, you guys want to stay on the team? They're like, absolutely. This sounds amazing. Great. Our sous chef, executive sous chef at the time, a gentleman named Philip Zimmer, also Jewish, uh, not much connection to his religion or any of the foods, but was really excited to get involved in, in rediscovering his own heritage and okay. join us with that. And so the project was everyone needs to pitch. You have one week. Everyone needs to pitch two apps, two entrees, two desserts, two sandwiches, two sides, right? And then mm-hmm. we're going to compile a list. And then we'll talk it through and figure out what dishes and what inspires what and how we're going to make this work. Mm. And so this four hour, two four hour phone calls later, uh, we had so many dishes that we couldn't cut enough. We decided to run it as a small plates concept to start because we couldn't cut out any of the dishes that we loved so So much. So what were some of the big dishes initially that you, that were surprising that you were like, oh, that's such a good idea. There was the lamb shank tagine with the tzimis couscous. That mm-hmm. one was really good. Um, we had the potato. For people food. who don't know what simis is, can you explain it? Simis is like a sweet. I don't want to call it a salad because it's warm. Well, it's kind of stewed fruit. Stewed fruit, beets, raisins, currants, sweet potatoes, red mm. wine, cinnamon, bunch of winter spices, uh, and so we mix that in with the couscous, and we served that alongside lamb shank that we had uh, cooked in a. Tagine style, which kind of brought a lot of the same elements that would be in a classic Moroccan tagine. Mm-hmm. Um, what are the other ones? We did the gefilte fish crudo, which uh, was, we were like, we have to reimagine what gefilte fish is. So what, yeah, because, I mean, unless you're brought up with gefilte right. fish, I mean, to me, gefilte, then. I mean, no, I mean, to me, gefilte fish is only a conduit for the horseradish. Like exactly. that is the only reason why I eat it. Cause I want as much horseradish, spicy horseradish as possible. But like my kid, I mean, we didn't have a choice to eat it growing up. I mean, exactly. it was that it was Passover, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur. You had to eat it, and like my kids, none of my kids eat it. It's that chopped liver. We did a foie chopped, chopped liver with oh, well, shallots and peri peri jam. But it's interesting because I feel like gefilte fish is going to be one of those dishes that dies. I just don't feel like the youngins because they're not taking to it that's they why just, we had to reimagine it so how did you reimagine it so we did a schud oil which is like a, an israeli hot herb oil okay um so we used schud we made a schud oil and then we did a halibut crudo mm. uh, with pickled carrots horseradish foam and roasted right, beets right cuz it's white fish yeah perfect so it's typically it's a white fish served with the horseradish and beet sauce we call right. it crane uh and those sweet stewed carrots and so we went with pickled carrots um the slug oil a little bit of lemon juice and a touch of salt we tossed the halibut in that and then as we plate it it gets a sprinkle of roasted beets and a horseradish foam and so that gives us all the flavor profiles that are in a gefilte fish fascinating but done in a modern and approachable manner the plate itself is beautiful it's a sprinkle of bull's blood on top and it's just this you know just a really pretty plate mm-hmm. and it's crudo who doesn't love crudo crudo is super oh. good right now Everybody loves right. crudo, right? Exactly. And if you um, love crudo, you like tartare. Yes, right. It's the same thing. Right. Um, so, so you have all these great ideas, and how did you go about presenting it? What was the narrative that you were sharing with everyone? As because listen, Jufro people hear Jufro, you're going to get some eyebrows raised, right. right? So, how did you go about sharing the narrative of what you were doing? Uh, well, so that's actually where we started with the name. After we decided that we wanted to do this concept, we wanted a name that was a little bit on the edge. And so the idea of cancellation over conversation over cancellation and the idea that if you hear this name, you might be offended. And if you're going to be quick to judge and not be willing to have a conversation, then this is dead in the water. Okay. So it's not for you. Right. 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 But if you're willing to push the boundaries and perhaps be open to something that you may have found offensive, but if you're willing to have the conversation and see that it in fact comes from a place of love, then we can move forward and we can talk about how we are more alike than we are 
dissimilar and we can show these similarities and, and the fusion of the food and the flavors and everything that we put together. But we wanted to start with a name that was like right on the edge there and mm -hmm. start the conversation right at the very beginning when you first walk up to the restaurant and go, should I be offended? And that's where the conversation actually started. People will, would sit down and be like, hmm, Jufro, like, and, you know. What, well, what so <laughs> for those of us who are Jewish, I mean, a Jufro right. is, you know, a guy who has really tight curly hair Correct. because it looks like an Afro. And I don't know if that's offensive or not. It never even occurred to me. Right. But I guess it but it sounds like a thing. It that sounds right. It sounds like it sounds offensive. Right. I mean, it's not a word I would use. Yeah. Which but is I've why I've heard it. <laughs> which is why when it was pitched to me and Shrey came up with the name, he was like, "We have to call it Jufro. It's Jewish African." I was like, "Hell no! Right? Like, not an option." <laughs> right. I was like, "I love this. <laughs> right. If you can pitch a better name, I'll entertain it." So, what was the initial feedback? We actually had really great feedback. There was one person I remember who called uh, because it was a pop-up. We had a Google voice number. So it was connected to all of our cell phones. And I remember being in my apartment. I picked up the phone and she was like, is this Jufro? And I said, yes. And she said, I think your name is disgusting. And I wish you all the best. And I hope you succeed. But I think your name is very disgusting. Mm -hmm. And that was the one time ever anybody has said anything negative to me personally everybody else is like oh my god that's so cool i would i really want to know right. i really want to know what offended her was it the jew or the it was fro? The, well i don't know she was jewish i know that okay um but that's all i i know it was a very short conversation and i was like so taken aback I oh my god words i was like i'm so sorry <laughs> and that was it okay so you do this pop-up it's received well received yes well, yes and so how does the what's the evolution uh, as we say in Yiddish, it was bashert. We mm -hmm. uh, basically, we decided at the end of each pop-up, we were going to take the staff out for a big party because okay. it's real difficult with pop-ups. They, oh, they're fast know, and furious. Fast right. and furious, but you right. lose team members, but you don't have enough time to train and replace because it closes in a month. So <laughs> right. By the time you get to the last day, you're running on a skeleton crew because you know everybody has dropped off, but we can't replace them. We can't hire new people. So it's this minimal crew that we're working with. Mm -hmm. We decided to take them out to... Uh, to this nightclub in Chaco Bottom area of Richmond. Okay. And after that, we decide we're going to go out to ice cream. It's an ice cream shop around the corner. We walk past the space on the corner, big, beautiful space, and it's got a for lease sign. And we've never seen this for lease sign before. We're wow. in the area constantly, never noticed it. Mm -hmm. And we go, wait. And we all stop and we stare in the windows and we're like, this is beautiful. We, we have to have this. And so I call the landlord the next day and we set up a time to go see it. Turns out it's the oldest commercial space in Richmond that is still active. The previous tenants had leased the space, done like most of the renovations, and then COVID hit and they walked away. Oh. And so the space oh my was God, like what a gift yeah. from the gods. This beautiful, beautiful building, hardwood, original hardwoods, original uh, loft ceilings, mm -hmm. raised. I mean, it was absolutely, still is absolutely stunning. And all it needed was lipstick and rouge. Okay. And so we negotiated the space with him. And then Nar went to work with her former business partner, Sugar Taylor, who did the design work mm. in there. And oh my God, I love that. I'll let you name. take it over yeah. from there. Yeah, she's the most, yeah, the talented designer in right. the so area. How, right. <laughs> so since in a pop-up, you're really not executing the visual other than right. the food. So how did you want to create that space? So, oops, <laughs> let me not break okay. everything. Um, so in the pop-up, we created some of the visual in that, like anytime we created a pop-up, we created like a brand behind it, regardless of, you know, how big and expansive it was and how crazy we went with it. But we had an idea of, we wanted this to be like a modern seventies theme. Okay. Um, and so I shared that with my previous business partner. Um, she's black. Um, she had actually just come from living in Tanzania for oh, cool. through COVID just because it was something that she wanted to do, took her family there and lived mm -hmm. there for almost a year. Um, so she was like, I'm obsessed with this project already. And so she just created all the visuals and the logo work and all of that for us. And so the restaurant is, has like a modern seventies vibe with like light pink, um, as Ari likes to call it, puke green. Oh, that's what sugar called it. <laughs> right. I was sitting on that But I said avocado yeah. green. Exactly. I know what that looks avocado like. Avocado green. Wait, um, I mean, everybody exactly. had that in their house in the 70s. Exactly. Um, and yeah, that's kind of where we started with it. And then we took it a little bit further in, you know, all the renovations that we did. We had, we got this like beautiful custom carpet that had some African symbols as well as the Star of David. 
Um, and that goes up our spiral staircase. Mm. Um, How many seats? 65 right now. Okay. For another week or so. Right. Oh, right. <laughs> about and to be 85. We did just procure more. some new tables. Yeah. So we're on two levels. It's just this beautiful, as Ari said, space in this oldest commercial building in Richmond. Um, a kitchen way too small for what we're doing in there, uh-huh. um, but we're making it work. Well, so are we still doing uh, small plates? We're no, not. We no, immediately, we scrapped as, that. We did that through the pop-up, and then as soon as we decided to make it a full-time thing, we immediately scrapped that. That makes me feel really good. Yeah. Because yeah. I'm done. Well, the main thing with the small Personally, plates, right. yeah, the main okay. thing with the small plates was if it's only going to be around for two months, we want to get all these ideas out. Right. But if we're going to be here to forever, right. right. If we're going to be here forever, then we can make this an entree, and then in two months, put the other thing on. <laughs> mm-hmm. Doesn't have to be this. We're going to have a chance to do more things. Doesn't have to be one menu, and then we're out of here. Right. So now, as you built out your menu, so how long have you guys been open now? Uh, almost, a year and a half. yeah, a year okay. and a half. Let's talk a little bit about the beverage program because, again, you're including all of this in your beverage program. So what does that look like? What does the wine list look like? How are the cocktails affected? What does the beer program look like? How did you guys go about being intentional with that? So we had a gentleman by the name of Paul Halstead who came from, uh, was it Fiola or Fiola Mare? Yeah, I know Paul. Really? Oh, you know Paul? Yes. Oh my God, Paul's amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was our general manager through the pop-ups and through the first seven or eight months of the brick and mortar opening. Mm-hmm. And he developed our cocktail program and put the framework in. Okay. And he designed all the cocktails that were on the menu. There have been a few additions since his departure, mm-hmm. but he designed all the cocktails and then we worked together to add Jewish and African flair to them. Um, so for example, oh, sorry. No, no, no. I wanted to hear, I was like, like, what are the spirits or what are the like flavors that, you know, ring true to you, whether it's from the, you know, Jewish diaspora or the African? Well, not from Paul's cocktail menu, but we just added a cocktail that has a Zatar infused mm. vodka. It's basically our take on a martini. Sure. And it has a Lebnes stuffed olives and what else? And there's an olive oil foam on that, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, olive oil foam. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I don't drink much. so <laughs> That's um, okay. So I don't know. No, I got the drinker over here. Yep, that's, that's okay. We're going, out for the, we're going out for mimosas later. We're all good. <laughs> but yeah, so we're infu- you know, imparting all of those elements into what would be a classic martini, but then, you know, jufroing it up, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, we have the Elijah's Ascension, which is the only thing on the menu that I actually drink. Um, and it's a, it started out as a schmaltz washed bourbon. Okay. Uh, using Elijah's. Schmaltz, for those of you who don't know, is chicken fat. Which we eventually changed to ghee or clarified butter because. That makes sense. Vegetarian. Yeah. We just found that people, even though it clearly said it was washed in chicken fat, most people don't look for those things on a cocktail menu. They just assume cocktails. I think I, I have to be honest with you. It's. I mean, since I just talked about that wagon washed uh, cocktail, I think as as that drips down, more people will understand what the fat does to change the clarity of the cocktail. Absolutely. So it's a learning curve. But we didn't want to, I mean, as someone who grew up in a kosher household, there were many times where, you know, there were stories of kosher places that were sneaking in non-kosher meats and things like that. And they Mm. would lose their their certifications. And I was like, I don't want to be that guy that's sneaking in Right. Meat to what people assume is a vegetarian option. So smart. And so we decided to switch it to uh, to ghee. Mm-hmm. And so we fat washed the uh, the um, Elijah's uh, Elijah Craig, and then we make a cigar syrup using uh, using hmm. cigar tobacco. We basically cook it down three or four times to kill out all the uh, carcinogens, and then we steep the flavor of the cigar and make a simple syrup out of that. So you oh get God, that, that sounds delicious. That flavor. And then we use a cherry tobacco. We use a fog hat, a little smoking cop. Mm-hmm. We use a fog hat to uh, smoke it table side, infusing the cherry tobacco flavor into it. And so the idea was, it's kind of a running play on Elijah the prophet, who was one of the only uh, personas in the Bible who didn't die and said he was ascended to heaven. Right. So we've taken Elijah Craig and ascended it to a significantly higher level. I love that. That was kind of our play on words with the name. Uh-huh. And most of the cocktails have a play on words or an ode to an old either Jewish or African legend, with the exception of the flyaway, which is obviously an ode to Lenny Kravitz. Right. right. Uh, duh. Which makes sense. Right. It's Jew, right. We have right. To. Um, and what about wines and beers? Beers, uh, we keep local. Okay. Um, Richmond loves their beer scene and they mm-hmm. love their, their local beers. And they have I totally beautiful get that. breweries um, with great beers. So we keep those local. 
Um, wines, uh, I have dabbled in a lot of the South African wines. Um, there is this amazing, um, South African, uh, winemaker. The, the wine is called Eslina. Um, mm-hmm. she makes, she's the first black South African, or sorry, the first black woman winemaker, oh, cool. uh, vineyard in, uh, in Richmond in South Africa. Um, and her wines are delicious. So we started there and then kind of, um, are dabbling in a lot of South African wines. I've tried to bring in some of the Jewish wines, have yeah. not had the best. You mean luck. importing them or selling uh, them? Not importing them, uh, bringing, them. right. Sorry. <laughs> okay. So I haven't will, yet found off the air, I will tell you about somebody. Okay. Um, it, there are some amazing Israeli sure. wines, especially from the Golan Heights. They're incredible. We, I have not, uh, the, the distributors that I'm currently working with have had trouble getting me things that I enjoy. Okay. And so that's where I am. I'm going to put you in touch with somebody out there. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. who, uh, is like an ambassador for, uh, the Golan Heights wines specifically. Oh, um, um, cause I was just there and they're pretty fabulous. We had amazing wines. Um, anyway. All right. So you've got this whole program up and running now. And are you guys, is there programming? Like, does there, is it just food? Are you looking to? It's an experience. Right. But are you looking to bring people to the table to discuss it more? Do people have questions, not just about the food, but about what you're doing? And how do you train your staff to be able to handle sort of the heavy contact? Uh, all the time, uh, a lot of times we get a, hey, chef, do you have a minute? This table wants to ask you some questions I'm not prepared to answer. Okay. So we do get a lot of that. Um, but, and then on the bottom of the menu, we put a little glossary that explains the history of and the tradition of a lot of the dishes that, and one of the things that I can't stand, especially when I go to uh, restaurants that are not classic American, classic French food, I don't want to sit there and Google what that dish is. Right. You know, and so we put a little glossary on the bottom of the menu that will rotate with the dishes so it can explain to you when you're getting things like Zigni, like a Zigni brisket, that it is a take on the Eritrean Zigni, uh, almost stew, uh, that's served traditionally with injera. Um, and so this is all same, an Ethiopian dish, right. just for people who don't know. It's Eritrean. Eritrean, uh, yes. But, uh, and so we are using the same style of cooking, the same methods. And the same flavors to make our brisket, mm-hmm. which we use as a topping on the sh- uh, schlischkes, which is basically a Hungarian, I guess the, the term people would be familiar with is gnocchi. Okay. Um, it's a Hungarian potato dumpling pasta-esque thing mm-hmm. that is rolled in like a sweet breadcrumb. So we take, we bake fresh challahs every day um, mm-hmm. and we take the day old challahs, we grind them up and make the breadcrumbs, which we season with a little extra cumin and coriander. Uh, and then we roll the, we'll call it the gnocchi, but the schlishkas mm-hmm. in the, uh, breadcrumbs. And then we cook it in the classic gnocchi style. Uh, and then we serve it with a Burberry and Durban cream sauce. So wow. Burberry is an Ethiopian hot seasoning blend. Mm-hmm. Durban is like a South African curry spice. Uh, and then we top that with our Zigni brisket. And of course, as everyone knows, brisket is like among the most quintessential Jewish dishes, and then the Zigni, of course, bringing in the African flavors into it as well. Right. Doing it in the same flavor profiles. Although the Irish might fight you on the brisket. Right. But that's okay. It's a different style. It's a different style. But it's a different style. Right. We do it differently. Exactly. We all have it. We just do it differently. Right. Exactly. Okay. So what's, what's next? Uh, next is, uh, anything we can possibly do. (laughs) To be quite honest, we're, we're in a place where we're, Super excited about the brand, super excited about the concept. Thankfully, things have been, you know, going in an upward trajectory and we've been getting a lot of attention and people have been really excited alongside mm-hmm. of us. Right. So, you guys were recently in Bon Appetit, which is right. very exciting. Yes. Bon Appetit and, and Forbes mm-hmm. and Food and Wine. Um, so that's been really fun. And with that comes, um, Maybe the opportunity, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> with that comes the opportunity to, you know, tell the story more and educate mm-hmm. more, which is basically why we started. And so through that, we are doing a series of dinners and collaborations and, um, conversations. Uh, so we just started this. Our first one was purely fun, but it was something that we thought about doing. Um, it was called, we called it dinner and a movie. So we basically put up a projector in the dining room, mm-hmm. had a very small 35 seat intimate experience where we played, uh, where we showed chef the movie and mm-hmm. we basically cooked alongside the movie and whatever oh, it fun. was. Yeah. So whatever it was. Everything that, that they, they ate, served you ate in the movie. 
in the time that they ate it in the movie to create a more immersive experience. Right. But the kicker was we didn't tell anybody what we were doing. We just said limited seats available. Expect to spend two and a half hours here. And there will be it. a movie. There will be a movie, and we how many people? Like Twenty four hours. Oh, I have no doubt. We only like thirty five seats because you know it's right fit. In yeah. Well, not all, but that shows that people trust you. Yeah. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. And that and trust that between the restaurateur slash chef and uh, the diner is so pertinent to being successful. Absolutely. You know. Well, that was uh, we decided on this one we were going to allow people to send dietary restrictions because we didn't have. We didn't release a menu or tell anyone what we were doing until the movie hit play and no one knew what it was. And so so we made like eight versions of every dish we served. There was a gluten-free one, a dairy one, a vegan one, every single thing. Oh my God. One portion worth of vegan, one portion worth of dairy-free. Demi glass is absolutely absurd. And Uh, what are some of the other ones that you're going to be doing? uh, Next one, we're doing a collaboration with another local restaurant. Uh, She is Italian from South Florida. Um, And like in her words, I grew up with literally only Jews and I want to eat Jewish food all day, every day. So we're doing like a Jewish Italian collaboration um, with a restaurant called Sprezza Cucina. Mm -hmm. Um, And then um, we have a Jewish reggae band coming into uh, (laughs) the restaurant. Right. and our, the one that we're most excited about coming up next is our AI dinner. Um, so we're using artificial intelligence to kind of help guide a, what artificial, what they would say a Jewish African fusion would be. So we're going to let AI dictate the menu. Yeah. I love and then it. After that, we're working on what I'm calling my apprentice dinner, but we're bringing Chef Maru Altara, who is the one who trained me how to cook. Mm-hmm. Um, and he is from Cote d'Avoie, so he fits the brand perfectly well. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to bring him in, hopefully, to, uh, we're still working on details with him to bring him in to, uh, take over the kitchen for a night and do, you know, if you like my food, just wait till you see the guy who taught me how to cook. He's oh even my better. God. I love it. Uh, What's the date of that one? Do we know? Unclear yet. Not yet. Okay. TBD. TBD. All right. So on that note, cause we do have to wrap up, um, tell everybody please where they can find you online, where they can find you on Instagram so people can stay up to date. I mean, I have to say to anybody who has not been to Richmond recently, the food scene down there is really vibrant. There's so much going on there. Uh, Jufro being an integral part of it. Um, and, uh, so tell everybody please where they can find you. Okay. So our website is www.jufrorestaurant.com, mm-hmm. uh, Instagram, Facebook, Jufro restaurant. Um, we are constantly posting, constantly telling people what's new. So go and check it out. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you so Absolutely. much. Absolutely. Thank us. you both. All right. Stay here one sec. Let me just wrap up. I want to thank you all for joining us today. Um, everything you heard here, you can find on the list or you want Also at N-Y-C-C-I-N-E-L-L-I-S, Instagram, Facebook, even though I said I wasn't on Facebook, uh, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn. And don't forget, this show is now on YouTube. So please subscribe if you have questions, either you know, reach out to me on any of the social media platforms. I can totally connect with the two lovely people here, and I'm sure they'll be happy to answer your questions. Also, if you need uh, restaurant suggestions or you want to take a road trip to Richmond, I can really help you out. So thank you all for joining me today. Thank you both for such thank a great you. conversation. Everybody have a delicious week. Produced by HeartCast Media.